Welcome back to The Analysis for part two of our conversation with Dr. Michael Hudson on the collapse of antiquity. I think the character of uh, early Christianity is uh, what uh, is in the Lord's Prayer. Uh, forgive them their debts as we forgive the debtors. Uh, Christianity, especially Roman Christianity, made a travesty of this. They, uh, they used uh, uh, the word sins. Uh, they forgive us our sins as we forget the sins of the debtors. Uh, and what they meant was every kind of sin except economic. A reminder, if you haven't done so already, to like, subscribe, and ring that bell for notifications so you don't miss our material. I want to do a little bit of name dropping here because one of the it's it's actually a surprisingly fun book to read because of just how culturally rich it is and how many of these references of philosophers and playwrights and and reformers uh, uh, get thrown in there. People who are familiar with the plays of of William Shakespeare might know Coriolanus, uh, but there's a very different take on him here as someone who was being protested by the poor indebted and basically joined the enemies of Rome, the Volscians, and attacked Rome because of his class alliance. It was not to his people. It was a class alliance. That's and right. that's... Uh, the, this, uh, the same thing had happened in Greece under Alcibiades, mm. uh, who ended up as an opponent of Athens. And then we get to Julius Caesar. And Julius Caesar, you mentioned already, he was a mild reformer. I think there was sort of the concern that he was... Um, at the risk of drawing too many contemporary uh, comparisons, a bit like maybe an FDR figure who started out as a mildly reformist uh, uh, elite and became more of a reformer as, as time went on. And there was that kind of fear about Julius Caesar as someone who was really just alleviating things for the wealthy, but that he might become more sympathetic to the, the plight of the masses. And something yeah. I didn't know that was in this book was that Brutus was a moneylender charging 48% interest. Yes, that was, uh, let me talk about Caesar first. He was very brilliant uh, as a political maneuverer, as well as as a general. He uh, borrowed a lot of money to run for office and uh, paid the money. He was able to play the political game uh, as a very, very intelligent maneuverer. And uh, what uh, they, people were really frightened about with Caesar was that uh, he was independent. And they didn't want independent people. I mean, just like in an American democracy, the last thing you want is a president who's independent and who's a leader. You want a a, a president who's working for his campaign contributors. Uh, well, that's what uh, most of the uh, heads of Rome uh, usually were. They were uh, leaders of their uh, uh, of the oligarchy, and that was the job of the Senate. But here was uh, uh, Caesar being independent and uh, trying to uh, retain a solvency for the economy as a whole, and uh, they didn't want uh, uh, an independent head of Rome any more than you would have modern uh, democracies wanting an independent uh, president. Uh, and so Caesar was accused of kingship. Uh, and and what did the kings do? The kings canceled the debts and redistributed the land. And that was the invective uh, that was used against Caesar. And for Brutus, uh, it turned, uh, we're, uh, that brings us back to uh, uh, Cicero, uh, who uh, Cicero was appointed uh, the local uh, uh, head of uh, Silesia, 
that uh, controlled Cyprus uh, at the time. And uh, uh, one day people came to him from Rome and said, uh, yeah, since you're the ruler here, there is some, uh, we've lent uh, some money. The uh, local uh, Sicilians, Cilicians have borrowed money and uh, 42%. And uh, uh, Cicero said, but the legal rate of interest is only 12%. You know, I'm supposed to be the governor here, and I'm supposed to represent uh, the rule of law. That's what all my rhetoric is all about. And they said, well, here's the document. What are you going to do? Uh, and then Cicero uh, found out that uh, uh, these uh, the so-called uh, debt collectors were really working for Brutus. And it was Brutus mm. uh, who had uh, made the loan at uh, 42%. And uh, uh, when the his collectors asked for armed guards to go uh, and kill everybody who wouldn't uh, pay the debt and grab all their land and enslave their families, uh, Cicero really said he felt very bad about that. Uh, but he wrote to his uh, uh, his friends, uh, but what else could I do? Hmm. So, so much for Cicero. So much for Cicero. And this trend of like, Julius Caesar, of course, is the, and you kind of write that this was maybe the last chance for there to have actually been reform that could have gotten Rome back on the right course. But the, the assassination of Julius Caesar was nothing really particularly new. In fact, uh, these assassinations had kind of accelerated since Tiberius in 133 BC, correct? And then in the whole uh, 80s, uh, you had uh, the, the uh, wealthiest Roman generals opposed to uh, a very popular military general who uh, had the uh, uh, troop support. And uh, e each general uh, began to uh, uh, set, put up lists of all the followers of their opponents who had to be assassinated. Uh, and if you assassinated them, you got to uh, uh, grab all their property, or at least you get a portion of the property uh, that uh, they had uh, after you'd killed them. And so uh, it, basically, if people wanted property, you would just uh, go and add uh, the name of somebody uh, whose property you wanted to the list of supporting uh, the opponent of uh, the general. And uh, uh, you had just a, a vicious uh, civil war between Marius, uh, who was the popular general at the time, and Crassus and other uh, uh, other people who were uh, supporting uh, the opposite end. Right, right. And I guess this starts to move us into, uh, and you mentioned it already, um, but Jesus and Jesus's references of, of uh, the Jubilee year. Uh, can you talk a little bit both about what this movement was and, and what the practices of uh, early Christianity were uh, as it was, including their practices regarding usury. Well, when Jesus uh, gave his first uh, uh, big sermon reported in uh, Luke, uh, he uh, unrolled the scroll of Isaiah uh, uh, to the point where uh, Isaiah was calling for uh, the year of the Lord, meaning the Jubilee year. And uh, Jesus said that was what his destiny was, what he had come to proclaim. Uh, and there was a, a very apparently wide support uh, among the uh, Jewish population advocating uh, a rest restoration of the uh, Jubilee year against the rabbinical school uh, that basically opposed it and uh, represented, uh, Luke said that they, uh, uh, the Pharisees loved money. Uh, and uh, uh, their uh, leading rabbis uh, had their debtors uh, sign documents, they would borrow money, and they would waive their rights under the Jubilee year. Uh, and that's what uh, Jesus wanted to change. 
And so the uh, uh, after Jesus gave his uh, sermon, uh, a lot of the population got very upset uh, because they said uh, they didn't think it was fair to cancel the debts. Uh, and so uh, the leading Jewish leaders went to the Roman uh, proconsul uh, and said, well, we can't uh, put him to death, uh, but you can because he's seeking kingship. They knew the magic word of invective that the Romans didn't like, kingship. Uh, and so it was uh, the Romans who agreed uh, to put uh, Jesus to death. Uh, but the uh, the movement was uh, way beyond Je of Christianity, was uh, beyond Jesus. And we know from the uh, scrolls, the Dead Sea Scrolls that I've uh, uh, described in uh, the uh, preceding volume of this, uh, uh, the trilogy I'm working on, on the history of debt, uh, I, I cite the uh, ju uh, the scrolls that uh, uh, were sort of uh, mudrushes um, uh, of uh, the uh, all of the debt cancellation uh, advocacy of the Bible. Well, uh, you uh, what developed by about the fourth century was something that occurred not only in Rome, but all the way to Persia. Uh, throughout the whole uh, ancient world, there was sort of a revulsion at the uh, the decadence of extreme wealth uh, in uh, the face of the extreme poverty and uh, uh, bondage that had developed. Uh, and this uh, the decadence, especially uh, apparently women, uh, uh, especially the women who were the wives of the uh, uh, the leading aristocrats, uh, became Christians. And uh, uh, finally, uh, you, you had uh, Constantine uh, make Christianity the official uh, religion of the uh, Roman Empire. Well, hmm. there's obviously one problem. Uh, what do you do if uh, uh, you're making Christianity the head, uh, the official religion, and uh, the origins of Christianity were uh, centered on the Jubilee. You cancel the debts, you liberate the debt bondage uh, people, you uh, return, restore the lands to them, uh, redistribute the land, and make people in uh, de uh, independent, and uh, you protect uh, the poor instead of uh, enslave them. Well, you had to change the whole character uh, of. Uh, of this. And uh, I think the character of uh, early Christianity is uh, what uh, is in the Lord's Prayer. Uh, forgive them their debts as we forgive the debtors. Uh, Christianity, especially Roman Christianity, made a travesty of this. They, uh, they used uh, uh, the word sins. Uh, they forgive us our sins as we forget the sins of the debtors. Uh, and what they meant was every kind of sin except economic sin, <laughs> except the uh, sin of creditors. Uh, under St. Augustine, it was largely sexual. And all of a sudden, the focus of uh, Augustinian Christianity <laughs> became sexual egotism, not the wealth addiction of the creditors. Because after all, uh, if the leaders of the Christian church, uh, the archbishops uh, and the bishops uh, were all going to be taken from the wealthy families, uh, you'd hardly have them uh, criticize uh, their own wealth. Uh, and so you had a, uh, you stripped away uh, from Roman Christianity, the economic and social context that had guided early Christianity. Hmm. And uh, you also, uh, the the great uh, aim of Christianity was its anti-Semitism. Uh, the last thing it wanted was uh, uh, Jewish Christians because they knew the original uh, Christianity uh, hmm. and because that evolved out of Judaism. Uh, 
uh, as a whole. And uh, so you had uh, the first great uh, uh, the excuse for uh, the expelling not only uh, the Jews, but for uh, reformers was done by probably the most evil saint in uh, Christianity, although it's hard to say who's the most, Cyril of Alexandria. Uh, who uh, Alexandria was uh, had a very large Jewish population, and uh, Cyril uh, organized uh, big pogroms uh, to kill the Jews. And in fact, uh, anybody who could read the book, the one thing that uh, the Roman Christians hated were people who could read. Because if you could read, you'd read the Bible. And if you read the Bible, you'd know uh, that there was a a, a clash. So uh, the, I think the most famous person that uh, Cyril killed was Hypatia, uh, a, a woman who was a mathematician uh, and was brilliant one of the most brilliant. Philosophers of the time, right? Yes, yes. Yeah. And uh, uh, he sent his thugs, uh, Peter the Hammer, uh, down to uh, the seashore where they grabbed her, grabbed seashells and scraped all of the skin off her body so there'd be no uh, memory. That was uh, uh, the Christian way of killing. So first you had uh, uh, Cyril uh, and, uh, having a council of, uh, at Ephesus calling on the Roman uh, uh, military to kill all of his opponents. Uh, and uh, you, had, uh, you had Christianity hijacked. By Cyril, and then again, uh, when uh, the, in the wealthiest part of the Roman Empire by this time, the fourth and fifth centuries, was North Africa, Egypt, and uh, Hippo, the uh, the, the old uh, uh, Carth Carthaginian area, uh, were uh, the the breadbasket of the Roman Empire. That's where the grain was made, and uh, the uh, the uh, Christians there were uh, mutual uh, opposed the creditors. Uh, they uh, opposed uh, 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 the Romans. Uh, they said, "No, what the Romans are doing is not Christianity." We and uh, the Rome wanted to uh, them to turn over all of their sacred books so that they could be destroyed. You can't have Christianity as uh, uh, the, the medieval Christians realized if you if people can read the Bible. Uh, because if they read the Bible, uh, they see that Christianity, uh, basically, uh, under the Roman uh, Christianity, uh, fights against everything that the Bible uh, is all about. So uh, the uh, the uh, North the North African Christians, uh, many of them refused to turn over uh, the sacred books, and they were killed. Uh, and so uh, the uh, finally, you had uh, Augustine coming to power. Uh, and uh, he sponsored uh, the pro-Romans, and uh, there were a lot. There were there was a civil war that uh, went on decade after decade, uh, preventing the local Roman uh, landowners from indebting the population, from uh, from basically ensurfing them. Uh, and uh, Augustine called in the Romans uh, uh, to to take away their churches, to give him their churches. So essentially, Augustine. Uh, expropriated uh, the Christian churches and made them his own uh, deviant uh, Christianity uh, form of, I hate to, even to call it Christianity, it's really Augustinianism, uh, in uh, a wave of violence. And uh, uh, Peter Brown, who's the main uh, writer of uh, this, uh, historian of this period, uh, rightly uh, states that Augustine is the true founder of the Inquisition. Uh, and ever since uh, the Roman church became 
became uh, the Church of the Inquisition. Uh, and that's what I talk about in the third volume of my uh, trilogy, where I pick uh, pick up matters uh, with the Crusades. So uh, yeah, what Rome bequeathed to the West was not only creditor-oriented law, but a creditor-oriented Christianity. Uh, this is what you have in American evangelism today. Uh, Jesus, King Jesus will make you rich. Uh, and essentially that uh, became uh, uh, Christia uh, Christianity uh, as it uh, evolved in the West uh, when uh, finally in the uh, 11th century, uh, Roman Christianity, there were uh, five churches that survived uh, the uh, decline of the Roman Empire, uh, Antioch, uh, uh, Jerusalem, uh, Byzantium became uh, the key. The real Christ uh, what survived from the Roman Empire was the Byzantine Empire uh, and its church, which uh, was Orthodox Christianity. Uh, and Orthodox Christianity uh, maintained uh, many of the uh, qualities of original Christianity, uh, mm -hmm. in, uh, including a, uh, a debt cancellations uh, uh, when there was uh, a crop failure or a freezing, a fr frost that killed the crops and uh, caused uh, a loss of land and uh, uh, in indebtedness. Uh, you, you had uh, the... Uh, uh, Byzantine, uh, you had Constantinople as the main bishopric uh, with Antioch, Jerusalem, uh, uh, and, and Rome became uh, really a backwater uh, until you had the Norman invasion of Europe and Rome uh, made deals with uh, uh, William the Conqueror in England and before that uh, 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 Norman Conqueror of uh, 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 Sicily, that uh, if you will make, if you will conquer the land, we will uh, bless you. If you uh, uh, agree that you are the feudal serf of uh, the Pope, and uh, all these, uh, the kings of England, the kings of uh, uh, Sicily and uh, southern Italy, uh, were all uh, the feudal. Uh, pledged fealty uh, to uh, the Pope that organized armies to uh, uh, basically uh, have yet a new. Uh, crusades with new uh, inquisitions under the Dominicans uh, against uh, Christians who didn't agree with uh, uh, Roman uh, leadership, whether it's uh, the French Cathars or ultimately uh, the Crusades uh, looted Constantinople and uh, basically destroyed uh, its ability to resist the uh, uh, the what became the Ottoman takeover in time. So uh, mm -hmm. essentially, you had this split at the time. And most people look at uh, uh, Western civilization as just uh, the continuity of Rome without realizing how uh, after, uh, the, the empire itself uh, under Augustine made yet another break uh, from the from uh, uh, the, near, the Near East uh, that continued to be uh, the wealthy uh, uh, solvent uh, part of the empire in uh, Constantinople and uh, the Near East. And and you say that by the time we get into um, uh, the fourth century or fifth century AD, and we get um, uh, we get the Vandals coming in and uh, taking um, they take what do they take? They take Hippo. Um, you say that there by that time the economic devolution that had happened um, was such that there was practically no resistance that the uh, the military loyalty had been the, the fact they had wiped out their opponents and instituted such a rentier state 
Men's well, it's not simply that there was no resistance. The people went over to the side of the vandals. And yeah, you right. have you had a lot of uh, churchmen saying, why is it that uh, the Roman Christians are going over to the side of the vandals? Uh, right. It's because they have more freedom. They're the Democrats. They're, they're, the, uh, they're overthrowing the feudal uh, feudalism. That's why they're going over to them. And uh, it was, uh, there was an admiration of the Vandals uh, coming in, the Germanic tribes, uh, because they were the progressives. And of course, the people went over to their, uh, to their side. Uh, you couldn't have had just a few Vandals taking over the vast armies of uh, uh, North Africa and uh, uh, the rest of uh, Europe if uh, the people weren't supporting them. Right, right. I, I want to bring this into the contemporary moment. Uh, and we've already been, of course, connecting dots throughout this conversation. But you say there is a disturbing trend among contemporary classicists to basically sidestep the history that we have been going through today, and that they're really following the lead of neoclassical economists. Uh, do you want to, to comment on that? Well, here's the problem. Uh, uh... Most historians don't study uh, economics, and what they do study uh, is uh, the kind of uh, economics that you're taught in universities, and that's uh, neoliberal economics. Uh, and uh, neoliberal economics uh, doesn't study history, because if it studied history, uh, it would know that uh, societies polarize as a result of uh, debt, uh, and uh, they'd uh, uh, know what I describe in uh, uh, the collapse of antiquity, uh, and they'd uh, they'd realize that instead of uh, there being automatic stabilizers that uh, require that uh, don't require kingship, automatic stabilizers mean the free market, the market of wealthy individuals, uh, and uh, just the market will always uh, provide an optimum solution. You don't need any regulator of the mar market. Any regulation of the market is bad. Well, uh, all earlier civilization from the uh, first time we can pick up uh, written records in the Bronze Age, uh, there was always a public override to the market. And the, ro the role of kings and churches and the whole ideology uh, that people were taught uh, in their religion uh, and their politics was uh, uh, you have to shape the market in a way that will promote uh, overall economic growth. And uh, the primary way in which you have to uh, uh, shape the market is uh, to prevent the debt overhead from uh, leading to a transfer of labor and property from debtors to the creditors. Uh, you, you have to keep uh, the uh, economy uh, free enough so that citizens can serve in the army and uh, perform uh, uh, public work, uh, and you don't let a creditor class uh, evolving. So uh, all of that, uh, th today, that's called socialism, mm -hmm. uh, or uh, Biden will call it autocracy. Well, it's not autocracy. The, that's the irony that uh, Greece and Rome and medieval Europe uh, have not done a good job in preventing uh, oligarchy from developing uh, as a financial oligarchy and as a landlordship uh, oligarchy with uh, the financiers uh, turning public utilities uh, into private monopolies to get monopoly rent uh, right. along with interest and uh, and land rent. Well, uh, I, 
that's basically uh, the dynamic that occurs. And uh, uh, in, uh, not only has economic history uh, been taken out of the curriculum, uh, but most classical historians begin the history of civilization with Greece and Rome, as mm. if it began without this mixed economy, without the 3,000 years of uh, the Bronze Age and late Neolithic takeoff uh, that I describe in the first volume uh, and forgive them their debts. Is it safe to say uh, that we have adopted the model of a failed state, a failed state model as our economic model? Yes, <laughs> you've put it quite succinctly. Is this something, when we look at the practices of debt forgiveness and, and when we look at how people have understood these principles before and applied them very productively, is there any reason other than sheer political power and campaign contributions, is there any reason we couldn't take up that subject successfully today and reinstate uh, citizenship, equality, a greater sense of equality at least, and a productive economy again today? Well, in order to do that, you'd have to have uh, a, a definition of what is the alternative. And uh, the uh, neoclassical economics says there is no alternative. Uh, Margaret Thatcher, uh, and Ayn Rand are the economic models uh, for right. today. And if you believe there's no alternative, then uh, you're really not going to take steps to uh, create a uh, more balanced economy. Uh, and that really, in, in that sense, uh, you could say that uh, the fight between uh, the uh, uh, North America and the NATO countries uh, against uh, the remaining 85% uh, of the world's population uh, is a fight between uh, an oligarchic society and a mixed economy wanting to use uh, governments to shape markets in order to promote uh, general prosperity uh, and liberty for the population as a whole. Hmm. And you use the term in your book, you call that democratic liberty as opposed to oligarchic liberty. Uh, that's right, except uh, uh, the, the, the meaning of democracy uh, seems to only be uh, successful when you have a state strong enough to prevent a olig uh, financial oligarchy from destroying uh, 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 democratic principles. Well, you've certainly given a lot to think about in this conversation. I also really encourage people to pick up this book and read it. Like I say, it's, it's, it is an authoritative account, but it also is a great joy to read because it is so culturally rich. And people who have an interest in history, who have an interest in drama, an interest in philosophy, are all going to find that this is a, a really invigorating book to read. So, Michael well, Hudson, yeah. thank you so much for being here. Uh, this was a pleasure. Thank you. Well, well, thank you for uh, reading the book and uh, understanding it so well and uh, bringing it out in this discussion. And if you enjoyed that content, consider going to our website, hitting the donate button so we can produce more like it. Thank you so much for watching. Take care.